This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book at the dinner hour service under the covering title of the finished work. And we are considering some of the teaching in Paul's epistle to the Galatians, which we also have said, although we couldn't demonstrate it, that we believe it to be the first of his epistles. Uh, at this meeting, I want to help you to see how this epistle to the Galatians overlaps and links together the Jew and the Gentile in their need of a saviour and God's provision. And certain terms are used uh, that uh, are distinctive and if we can just get these in their place, it may be another little link in a great chain. And you say, what's all this about? Well, you remember, I just mentioned to you two or three things which we notice in Galatians and then attempt to illustrate them. He says in Galatians about the cross of Christ that has been placarded, if you get the word translated literally. Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been placarded? And you may think that is an anachronism. That's a good word, isn't it? Uh, but actually there is in one of our museums a placard that was on one of the walls in ancient Rome uh, an election was on, so-and-so was a good man, vote for him. And Paul says, I not only preach Christ, I placarded it. What's happened to you? That's one little thing to keep in mind. Another one is that he refers to his condition among them, for which I have a little bit of sympathy just at this moment. He said, uh, I was with you in a fit of sickness, and he said I was a deplorable-looking person because I believe it had to do with ophthalmia, uh, dreadful disease in the East, so that he said you would have plucked out your own eyes if there had been any good. So taking the pen out of the hand of the amanuensis, who was writing that dictation as far as we know, he says, see not what a big epistle I've written, for it's a short one. See with what large letters I have written unto you, and appeal to their affection, that in his difficulties he was taking the pen and saying, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, in this epistle, the Apostle Paul uses two figures for the great sacrifice of Christ. He stresses the cross. He stresses, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. But he also says that Christ died on a tree. Now, the um, the point is that if we look at the passages in a moment, the point is that Peter never uses the word cross, never once. He speaks about the tree because he was a Jew, writing to Jews. And Paul, he speaks about the cross, but in this one epistle and in Acts 13 where he's speaking to the Galatians, he uses the word tree. So that we have in this one epistle, you see, the overlapping that what Christ did for the Jew by being hanged on a tree and what he did for the Gentile by being crucified on a Roman cross has linked together the whole sacrificial work on which, whether we are Jew or Gentile, we stand. And in this epistle to the Galatians, he says that Christ was born of a woman. That takes you back to Genesis 3 
And there was no Jews or Gentiles then. They were just men. Just mankind. Then he says, made under the law. That takes you from outside the eye a long way in the book and meets with the claim of a broken law. Well now, before I go any further, I've got here, I, you have seen this before, some of you, but it will illustrate my point in three ways. This is a scroll of the book of Esther. Would you say, what's Esther got to do with Galatians? Well, first of all, you notice the size of the letters. They're roughly about a quarter of an inch, a usual size for a Hebrew manuscript. But when I begin to unfold this, and you see that there is one column where the letters are very much larger. Don't you see the Apostle was doing what they knew they did in these scrolls? When they want to emphasize the thing very much, they put it in very large letters. So you see, with what large letters I've written unto you, because I want to impress this upon you. Now, strictly speaking, this is peculiar, because they are the names of the sons of Haman, who were hanged upon the very tree that he planned for Mordecai and the destruction of the Jewish people. Well, that's one thing. Well, now, again, in this, um, in this uh, set out like that, you've got the word which could easily be placarding a truth. That's the second statement in Galatians. And the third, which is not in this Hebrew scroll, but is a peculiarity of the Greek version of the Old Testament that one passage only I'll read it it says in Esther chapter 7 verse 9 and Harbona one of the chamberlains said before the king behold also the gallows fifty cubits high which Haman had made for Mordecai who had spoken good for the king standeth in the house of Haman and the king said Hang him thereon. Now that's a proper translation of the Hebrew. That for some reason known to God, he puts there in the Septuagint version, the Greek version, the one and only occurrence of the word crucify in the whole of the Old Testament. There's no word for crucify here, but 300 years before Christ, they anticipated that Christ, who would be hanged upon a tree, would also be crucified on a cross. Can you doubt the overruling uh, guidance of the Spirit of God when you come in one little obscure book like this with three different points where another epistle written or another letter written hundreds of years afterwards would be benefited by it? It's not accidental. We are trusting in a living Saviour and we are trusting in a living book. Not the searchings of men groping, but the revelation of God dictating. And so we can trust it to the last letter. Well now with that point, let's turn to the epistle to the Galatians and see these features. But first of all, I think we'll notice the way in which Peter uses the, the tree and while we're in the Acts of the Apostles, we'll see how Paul uses it. Now, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verse 30. It says, um, verse, uh, uh, verse 29, chapter 5, 
Then Peter said, and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Then in chapter 10, Peter is still the speaker. We read again in chapter 10, verse 39, somewhat similar charge. This uh, verse 39 is Peter's statement in connection with Cornelius and onwards. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom ye they slew and hanged on a tree. And then to uh, show that this is not accidental, in his epistle, first epistle, Chapter 2, 24, we read that Christ bare our sins in his own body on the tree. So it's a consistent emphasis by Peter that Christ died upon a tree. Now when you look at Acts 13, Acts 13, here we have Paul at Antioch. And he is in the synagogue at Antioch. And we now know that Antioch was in Galatia. So here we have Paul in a, speaking to a company in Galatia. And here in this particular passage, he says, um, verse 29, I think it is. Yes. Verse 28, and though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree. Now that's as far as my knowledge goes, is the only time that Paul, outside Galatians, ever uses the word tree. But you see how consistent it is. When Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost, we are reading the Acts chapter 2, there were none but Jews only there, in spite of all the tradition that had been tacked onto it. But when Peter speaks, he says in verse 26, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God. So here we have the overlap. The Jew is still there, and he's still first. But the Gentile is coming in through Paul's ministry. So he uses the word tree, as well as the word cross. And after he's done it in Galatians, and after he spoke of it in this synagogue in Galatia, he drops the reference. Uh, and then uses plainly the execution under Roman law, for he was the apostle of the Gentiles. But it's interesting to see how these things overlap. Well, if you'll come back to the epistle to the Galatians now, itself, or go on to the epistle to the Galatians, I think we'll read those passages which I just alluded to. First of all, we're dealing with a tree, so we read these words. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Evidently set forth is just the word to placard. He said, I haven't merely preached, I haven't merely suggested, 
I've exhibited in the plainest possible terms that here is the basis of all our hopes. He said so about himself. First, he says in verse 19 of the preceding chapter, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God, to the law. How did you die to the law? Well, when you look at chapter 3, verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not a faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. So there the Jew had his conscience before him settled that the curse had been endured, that he was now free from an endeavour to save himself by the works of the law. He could put his trust in a finished sacrifice, receive forgiveness of sins, a justification before God, become a member of a new creation and rise to walk in newness of life and serve in newness of spirit. But isn't it good to see how it's been hedged about so that there was no loophole left for either Jew or Gentile to go astray? Well then, dealing with the large letter, in chapter 6, he says, uh, verse 11, Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Well, now that large A letter makes you think that he's referring to the epistle. But the word letter here means a character. It's a letter of the alphabet. And he was doing just the same as we saw in that scroll of Esther, enlarging with large letters, cumbersome writing possibly, something that the last that he himself would put in. Do remember that in the days of the Apostle, a person of some standing in education may not hardly be able to write his own name. In our own country, a few hundred years ago, a writer, an author, he wasn't looked upon as very much. And in the days of the Apostle, those wonderful uh, manuscripts which we see in the museums, uh, with the wonderful lettering, they weren't done by a scholar, they were done by a slave. And if you like, you could ask a person who wrote the epistle to the Romans. And if they said Paul, you say, oh no. But if you read the last chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans, we read, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Now Tertius is number three. We read a Secundus, who's number two. And so we've got, we've got Primus, we've got Secundus, Quartus, We've got uh, Tertius. We've got these two, three, and four. And that was their numbers. Slaves who wrote so much, so much a page. That's why nearly every manuscript has got the identical number of uh, lines on it because they've paid so much a line. But it's very good for us because if a page is destroyed, we've simply got to count and say, yes, that's, that's what's happened. You know what's happened. It's all right. All these things are overruled. So we have here the statement See how large a letter I am using. I'm appealing to you. 
And what I say is, God forbid that I should boast glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. In a preceding chapter, he said, the flesh is crucified. And here we have then the flesh, and the world, and sin, as a breaking of the law, all dealt with, all put away, all completed. And I felt that it would be a useful sidelight for you to take away, may not be greatly important, but we never know. Maybe a useful sidelight on the way in which these epistles were written, and the connection with some of these Old Testament scrolls, and uh, prepare us for our next step. Uh, our next step will be to consider the possibility that the epistle to the Hebrews, which has no signature, no name to it, doesn't say who wrote it, was that the Galatians was a covering letter, written at the same time. And Paul was not an apostle to the Hebrews, so he didn't put his name. But one or two things that he ought to have said in Hebrews, if it was all by itself, are already said in Galatians. So, when we meet together next time, which will not be, God willing, next Wednesday, I hope you don't begrudge me a time off, either for the usual holiday which we hope to have, and for the fact that I'm still under observation at the hospital. But when we meet together after the fortnight interval, I want then to pick up and show you that Galatians and Hebrews march together, and they're, they're understood better if they're seen as a pair, and then we shall have canvassed the great basic truth in detail, not in much detail certainly, of justification in Galatians, and when we've traversed Hebrews, we shall have the companion sanctification in Hebrews, and all those will be part and parcel of the process under the hand of God of the covering title of this series, The Finished Work. Or may we be glad to think we belong to it, that we can realise that when Christ said, it is finished on the cross, he knew what it meant, even if we only have a vague idea.